Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Rothheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence and sometimes have some fun along the way. I'd like to talk today about what I call meta-apologetics, godly character and adventure. What do I mean by meta-apologetics? Well, meta-philosophy is the philosophy of philosophy. It tries to understand the nature of philosophy, the scope of philosophy, the relationship of philosophy to other disciplines, and so on. And I'm understanding meta-apologetics here to be the study of what apologetics is and how it should be done. So instead of giving apologetic arguments for the existence of God, the resurrection of Jesus, the reliability of the New Testament, and so on, I'm rather going to be giving some advice about how apologetics should be carried out with respect to godly character and adventure, or the willingness to risk and be creative in bringing apologetics to the world. And I understand apologetics to be defending the Christian worldview as objectively true, compellingly rational, and existentially pertinent to the whole of life. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way, they are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up, it's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. So let's talk about the Christian apologist moral compass. We need certainly a code of conduct based on Scripture. Now, of course, we have the Ten Commandments, which sum up the moral law. We have Jesus' statement that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbors, ourself. We have the Christian virtues as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Of, uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Now, the Ten Commandments relate to all Christians. The summing up of the greatest commandment by Jesus relates to all Christians. All Christians should be filled with the Spirit and therefore demonstrate the Christian virtues. Sometimes those are summed up in terms of what is said in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, but we also have the enumeration of the virtues and also the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Now, I'm not going to try to give you a summary of Christian morality. I was so bold as to attempt that in a previous podcast. But what I'd like to do is point out some areas where Christians who are doing apologetics need to focus with respect to their moral conduct and their godly character. So, let me emphasize the seriousness of the Christian moral life. Of course, we do not gain salvation or merit redemption through our inner morality or our good works. We rather receive salvation 
as a gift from God in Christ, of course. However, if we are Christians, if we are justified by the work of Jesus and we've accepted this by faith alone, we desire to please God. And this is serious. So consider 2 Corinthians 9.27, where Paul says, of course, the great apologist, Paul, a great preacher and church planner, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Notice that very severe martial kind of language. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. I don't think Paul is talking about self-flagellation. I think he's using hyperbole to say that his body must glorify God. Now, this is the great apostle, the man who encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, yet he still had a fleshly nature, and he had to take that sin nature very seriously, as do we as defenders of the Christian faith. Let me also appeal to 1 Timothy 4.16, again, the Apostle Paul, who says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine closely, not just your doctrine, or we could say in apologetics, not just your apologetic method, not just your apologetic arguments, But watch your life, your conduct, your thoughts, your affections. We should also, as Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all that you need will be given to you. So instead of worrying, instead of experiencing anxiety, focus on the extension of God's kingdom. And put yourself second to this ministry. Don't promote your brand or your ego. Let other people compliment you. Now, we live in the great age of self-promotion, given the Internet, given Facebook, given Instagram, given Twitter, and so on. I don't think there's anything wrong with letting people know what your gifts are and how you can serve them. But at the same time, We are not exempted from the need to be humble because we live in the great age of self-promotion. We need humility. So let me quote from 1 Timothy 1.5, and I'm using the King James language here. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is Paul. We need to view that we are ruined sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we must not become arrogant or prideful. No matter what our achievements are, any godly activities we are involved in, any gifts we have are gifts from God. And in our apologetic activities, we need at all times to show love and not strife. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, again the Apostle Paul, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, 
leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Notice that Paul uses the language of spiritual warfare. He speaks of people escaping the trap of the devil, but despite the fact that this is conflict, he says, don't be quarrelsome, be kind, teach, don't be resentful, and be gentle in instruction. We cannot do this in the flesh. We cannot do this according to some self-help method. The only way to have this spirit in explaining, defending, and commending Christianity and apologetics is through dependence on the Holy Spirit moment by moment, an attitude of humility and trust. Jesus lays this out in John chapter 15, and we see in Acts 1.8 that Jesus tells the disciples not to begin their public ministry until the Spirit has come upon them. So we at all times and in every way need the Spirit of truth to motivate us and inspire us in our witness. And an excellent book on the Christian life, which I have been reading, rereading, and teaching from and quoting from for over 40 years, is a book by Francis Schaeffer called True Spirituality. Now, those who defend the faith, and we all need to in one way or the other, but those who do so quite often, and maybe even as a vocation, need the intellectual preparation required for such a task. We need to be studious. We need to be well-prepared. So let me mention six items here. First, we need to know our Bible, and we need to be able to interpret it properly so we don't twist the Scripture, as Peter warns about in Second Peter 3.16. So this means reading, rereading, studying, memorizing, meditating on, teaching from, preaching from. We need to live in the Scripture and be sword masters, so to speak. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, we're told in Ephesians 6 by Paul. So we need to know how to wield that sword of the Spirit, which is the Holy Scripture. We also need to know biblical and systematic theology to ground our worldview. So we need to interpret text properly and then relate the truth of any given text, any given book of the Bible, to any other text or any other book in the Bible. And this, of course, is a lifetime pursuit. But this should be our goal and our ideal. We also need to know basic logic, and reasoning, and how to spot logical fallacies such as false dichotomy, begging the question, circular reasoning, ad hominem, and so on. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives— Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. 
the Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So apologists need to be masters of arguments, meaning we need to know how to engage in rational persuasion and how to spot irrational mistakes in the reasoning of non-Christians or in the reasoning of Christians who are defending the faith poorly. And that happens. Years ago, I wrote an article in the Christian Research Journal called Apologetic Non-Starters, which is online. You can find it if you'd like, where I give, I think, four bad arguments that you often hear in apologetics. We have to be careful not to do that. Fourth, we also need to know our own culture and the sort of worldviews that dominate people's thinking. And we need to understand how the various media of technology affect people's minds and hearts. And we also need to understand how to use the various media wisely. Know what the strengths of a medium is, the weaknesses of what a medium is, and proceed accordingly. The classic text on this is First Chronicles 12.32, which speaks of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We need to understand the times, the signs of the times. Fifth, we need to be above reproach in citing sources, in speaking and writing. That is, we must not bear false witness. We must not plagiarize. And it is better to over-document something than under-document something. And it's better to mention in a public talk the source you are referring to than not to mention it. Six, behind all these six principles is the importance of being studious, a good scholar. Let me read two texts here, Ecclesiastes 12 and Luke 1. First, Ecclesiastes 12, 9-10, Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. We need to exemplify that sort of virtue if we are public apologists in our writing and in our teaching. Now from Luke 1, Luke says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke 1, 3-4. See also John 21, 24. So these are some of the moral characteristics that apologists should exemplify and interiorize and live out. Let me talk also about the adventure of apologetics or the opportunities to get the word out into the world that Christianity is objectively true, compellingly rational, and pertinent to the whole of life. I often tell my students that I don't want to simply teach you what my apologetic method is as opposed to other apologetic methods so you can spend your time defending my method as opposed to other methods. 
we need to spend time on what the method should be, and I do that in my book, Christian Apologetics, but we need to actually get out into the world and present the arguments before the watching world. And we need to try to break new ground. Paul says in Romans 15.20, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So how can we take the gospel into an area that's dark, where the gospel has not been known, or where the gospel perhaps has been known, but has not been adequately defended through apologetics? Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom about those things. And another text on this, about trying various things, being involved in various endeavors, is from Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. The context here is more like investing financially or investing in goods, but we can apply it to investing in apologetic endeavor. And here I'm quoting from the New King James Version, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the body of her who is with child? So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. It's from Ecclesiastes 11, 1-6 in the New King James Version. So, we have limited knowledge We make educated guesses a lot of the time. So, we should try to benefit others through apologetics by throwing out the seed, to use another metaphor, as broadly as we can in accordance with our abilities and our opportunities and our energy. We should try to calculate the effort in relation to the effect and the chances of success. So, what I'm saying is, You don't want to be too quixotic. That is, for example, you don't want to spend a month writing an unsolicited editorial for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal and think you have much of a chance of it getting published. You really don't. You need to calibrate your abilities to the opportunities, but at the same time, take some chances. That is, don't be foolish, but endeavor to get the word out into the world in the best ways you possibly can. And also try to embrace unexpected opportunities. I think of Paul in his great message at Mars Hill, which we see in Acts 17. This was really an unscheduled mission trip before imposing intellectuals. But Paul was ready And so he preached this magnificent apologetic message that we have in Acts 17, 16 through 34. So if we are prepared, we know the scripture, if we're prayed up, if we're humble, if we yearn to see 
the kingdom of God manifested through us, then we should try to embrace unexpected opportunities, unexpected open doors, depending on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. Think here of Second Timothy 4, 2, the Apostle Paul saying to his young mentee, Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And I've used the King James Version there. That is, in season and out of season. Sometimes you are well-prepared for an apologetic endeavor. Other times you might be tired. You might not be on your game the way you like, but you need to make the most of every opportunity that God gives you to explain and defend and commend the gospel message. Let me finish up by talking about some of my apologetic surprises, successes, and failures. I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but one of the wonderful surprises I had is about 1996, 97 maybe, I attended a meeting put on by the Baha'is, and it was about near-death experiences. And during the talk, the Baha'i man who was lecturing held up a copy of a book called Deceived by the Light as an example of someone who was trying to understand the meaning of near-death experiences. Now, I happen to be the author of that book, so I raised my hand and I said, I wrote that book. And the man very unexpectedly said, oh, would you like to come up and finish the lecture? Not surprisingly, I did. And I was able to stay afterwards for a long period of time with a Christian friend of mine witnessing to various people. I can think of another time when I had a wonderful opportunity I did not expect. I wanted to write a volume in the Wadsworth Philosophers series because I noted there was no volume on Pascal. And I wrote my dissertation on Blaise Pascal and I'd written a number of articles. So I contacted the editor of the series and he called me and he said, yes, we'd like you to write on Pascal. We'd also like you to write another book on Jesus. We'd like you to look at Jesus as a philosopher. How can we understand him in philosophical categories, epistemology, metaphysics, and so on? And of course, I was delighted to do so. Now, these were short books, a maximum of 98 pages, but the editor said, I want on Pascal and on Jesus at the same deadline. And I think it was only a little over a year from the time I talked to him. So I said, yes, thank you, I will. And after we hung up, I thought, what have I done? How can I do this? But God did make a way. And I was able to write both of those books within about a year, maybe a little longer. They both came out at the same time. Now, both those books are out of print, footnote here, but On Pascal has been revised and updated and should come out in 2024 in a new edition called Beyond the Wager, The Christian Brilliance of Blaise Pascal, and then sometime after that, a revised and updated version of On Jesus should come out called Jesus as a Philosopher. I was also happy to do two author events at 
a local tattered cover bookstore. This is a setting where a lot of non-Christians attend. It's a public event. It's not in a church. It's not a Christian ministry event per se. And I always enjoy that. Actually, I've done two that have gone well, have been well attended. And I did another one most recently on my book, Fire in the Streets. And sadly, only five people came to that. It was a disappointment, but you go through it, you put in the time, and you hope that God will bless it. Now, I've tried a lot of apologetic ventures that have failed. I wanted to debate James K.A. Smith on postmodernism. was not able to do that. I tried several times to engage in a Buddhist-Christian dialogue at the Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, which is not far from where I live in Denver. I failed both times. I tried to find a secular publisher for my book, Philosophy in Seven Sentences, and failed. The book was published by InterVarsity Press, and I'm happy for that, but I would rather be published by a secular publisher because the word could get out more broadly, most likely, with a secular publisher. So, to sum up, we should seek first God's kingdom, we should be godly people, we should be creative in our attempts to bring apologetics to the world, we need to take some prudent risks, sometimes we will fail, sometimes we will succeed. And we need to remember the audience of a holy God in all of this. Again, quoting from my beloved Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now let me give you a few recommendations uh, for books on what I'm calling meta-apologetics, or you might say the practice of getting the arguments out into the world, not simply the arguments themselves, but how do we employ them wisely and creatively. The two best books on this are a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics, A Game Plan, for discussing your Christian convictions. That's out in a second edition now. And then a book by Oz Guinness called Fool's Talk, Recovering the Christian Art of Persuasion. I find those two books to be very helpful. This has been Doug Grothuis with Truth Tribe. If you'd like to know more about me and my ministry and have access to lots of free material, you can go to my webpage at douglasgrothuis.com. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please tell other people about it. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together we can do this. 
With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.